0: It's 10pm, it's 199 radio, my name's Luke Fraser and this is The Tonic. Starting this episode, which is going to move between New York and France with a classic. That was the first, second, and eighth movements of Olivier Messiaen's Quatuor pour la fin de temps, the Quartet for the End of Time, from 1941. Uh, the story of the genesis of this piece is probably pretty well known, I guess. It was composed whilst Messiaen was a prisoner of war in the Starlag 8A camp in Gorlitz, Germany, having been captured by the Nazis in 1940. Uh, Messiaen originally showed sketches to a clarinetist who was then a fellow prisoner, and later made contact with a violinist and cellist in the camp who were also professional musicians. Uh, the piece was probably only made possible due to a sympathetic camp guard by the name of Carl Albert Brull who happened to be uh, a music lover. Uh, Premiere was eventually given to around 400 fellow prisoners outdoors in the rain and featuring a cello bought only through camp donations. Uh, the rest is history, I guess. And today the piece exemplifies uh, many of kind of Messian's signature traits in miniature form. That kind of depth of religious feeling moving between the transcendental and the apocalyptic. Uh, the birdsong and all those uh, signature chords derived from the famous modes of limited transposition. Uh, but my favourite fact about this piece is that the uh, camp guard Paul later assisted with the liberation uh, of Messiaen and the other musicians from the camp by forging exit papers with a stamp made from a potato. That was performed by uh, Lubin Yordanov on violin, Albert Tetar on cello, Claude Desumont on clarinet, and Daniel Barenboim on piano. The album is of the same name Quartet for the End of Time, released by Deutsche Grammophone in 1988. And that was the kind of officially Messian sanctioned recording of that piece. And if you stay tuned, there's going to be one further movement from the quartet later in the show, though set in quite a different light. So next up and across the pond to another classic, this time from the Summer of Love. This is Morton, Sobotnik. <laughs>
1: Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you.
0: Morton Subotnick's iconoclastic Silver Apples of the Moon, or at least some excerpts of it from 1967. Uh, that piece was composed entirely on the Bookler 100 synthesizer. That's the original Bookler modular synth. And it was also the first piece of electronic music commissioned uh, by record company, Nonsuch. Uh, Subotnick stated that he was trying to use the Bookler. To create new sounds that other musicians would find hard to replicate, and I suppose the point of difference here is between this approach and that of the use of synthesizers at this time, merely, well, merely to uh, emulate acoustic instruments. Uh, and in this sense, there's something kind of pretty revolutionary going on here for the time. And that pulse-based section you heard towards the end has undoubtedly become a touchstone for whole genres of electronic music to follow and it seems that no one kind of prior to this had really used electronic instruments to create pulse Uh, sabotnik said that the discovery of pulse happened pretty much by accident quote i started going with it and it blew my mind so that aspect kind of along with the general sound world has certainly had a large effect on music i've made uh, and I just think there's few albums that sound as fresh, uh, clear and as exciting as this. Uh, it's all the more remarkable considering it's now 50 years old. So the album is Silver Apples of the Moon, the label Such, And as mentioned, that was released in 1967. So now keeping it in the family. Uh, next up is the astonishing vocal work of Joan LaBarbara. Uh, I've been wanting to play something by her. Without realizing that she and Sabotnik have in fact been a long time married. So this seemed like a pretty good moment to include pieces by them both. From 1981, this is As Lightning Comes in Flashes. Just an incredible vocal performer and composer that's joan la barbara with as lightning comes in flashes from 1981. so that piece was originally written for a mixed media performance environment with seven singers along with dancers tape electronics video and costumes then it seems that sometime later it was realized as a multi-track recording with Joan LaBarbara performing all the vocal parts. Uh, She said in her own words that the piece was designed as a life metaphor and the image was that of overlapping entities with each fulfilling a life pattern which ebbs and flows and climaxes in its own time. It seems that Joan LaBarbara, more than perhaps anyone else I can think of, has pushed the sonic and expressive possibilities of the human voice to the furthest limits. Um, She originally emerged in the New York scene of the 1970s, collaborating with and kind of becoming, I guess, the go-to vocalist for everyone from John Cage, Philip Glass, Morton Feldman, Robert Ashley, and Steve Reich, uh, and so on, so on. But her solo work, which has uh, long been overlooked, has some really extraordinary pieces within it. And it seems a bit crazy that her work is not better known. That said, there's been a few reissues and anthologies over the last few years. So hopefully that's starting to change. And that piece that you just heard was taken from one of those anthologies called the early immersive works of Joan LaBarbera. The label is mode and that was released last year, 2017. And I think it's uh, available in both stereo and surround sound mixes back over to France now and this is Lily Boulanger Les Hain uh, from 1911 uh, by Lily Boulanger. She died uh, prematurely at the age of 24 from tuberculosis. And I think she, uh, had she lived, would have gone on to be uh, a major figure in 20th century composition. Um, the younger sister of uh, Nadia Boulanger, who is, I guess, perhaps the most famous composition teacher of the 20th century, having taught everyone from Erin Copeland and Philip Glass to Quincy Jones and a whole host of others. Um, but I think it's it's her younger sister who is the real kind of original compositional voice. Um, so Leseren there, performed by the New London Chamber choir, conducted by James Wood and featuring Amanda Pitt on soprano. Uh, The album Clarier dans le ciel, released on Hyperion in 2004. And now to another titan of French, European, contemporary, global, as you like, music. This is Pierre Boulez. Thank you. Yeah, Boulez and Sûr in Cise from 1998. Uh, That's a real personal favorite of mine. And I think an absolute highlight of Boulez's career, Uh, a late evolving work from him and kind of a world away from the uh, iconoclastic integral serialism with which he originally made his name in the 40s and 50s. Uh, Kind of here we have an almost kind of hallucinatory sound world, often kind of seeming closer to gamelan or electronic music than anything conventionally orchestral and made from distinct pulsating rhythms and harmonic and spatial effects that almost seem to mirror the possibilities of electronic music in an acoustic form it was a sound described by Boulez himself in the perfectly paradoxical way as being organized delirium That's performed by the incredible ensemble Intercontemporain conducted by Boulez himself and taken from the Ouvre Complete, uh, complete works of Boulez released as a box set by Deutsch Gramophone in 2013 so finally it's back to Messiaen and the quartet for the end of time or rather not quite because one of the movements from it uh, the fifth and probably most famous uh, had existed as part of an earlier work from 1937 Called Fête des Bellieux and scored for six Ons Martineau. Uh, In fact, it was one of the earliest pieces ever composed exclusively for electronic instruments. Um, This is performed by the Ensemble d'Ons Martineau de Montreal. Uh, The album is OHM, the early gurus of electronic music, released on Ellipsis Arts in 1937. So this is Messiaen's Oraison or oration from 1937. Thanks very much for listening to The Tonic and the next episode will be on Thursday, the 10th of January, 10 p.m. GMT.